Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I called up Aaron Carroll, a doctor and writer in Indianapolis, because I was trying to figure out how to feel about masks. And I knew... He'd have opinions. And it's now recording. Okay, yep. To be clear, I wasn't sure if I was going to agree with Aaron's opinions. Okay, so Aaron Carroll, you're a doctor. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to be honest. How many masks do you have in your house? Literally zero. Really? Literally zero. When Aaron told me this, I was surprised. In the last few days, there have been multiple reports that the Centers for Disease Control is about to issue new guidelines, saying the general public, all of us, should consider wearing masks when we go outside. Back in February, you tweeted, masks are mostly to protect others from you when you are sick. Correct. Not the other way around. Correct. Please don't waste them. Correct. Leave them for those who have a real need. I'm still consistent in that. I think that that is utterly true. This is the part where I should tell you that in my front hall, I've got masks, just four of them, surgical masks, not those N95s they need in hospitals. But I've got them. The thing about Aaron Carroll is that he's the kind of guy who lives and dies by data, thinks it's fun to question the conventional wisdom. So as the conventional wisdom on masks seemed to be changing, I wanted him to poke holes in my arguments See if we could agree on anything. If we're talking about the CDC is changing its guidance, then when and if it does, I would really like to see the evidence behind with behind the reason they're doing that. Well, the re- I mean, there's reporting that the CDC might be changing its guidelines yep. this week. I know, and I'm I'm curious to see how and why they do so, um, because what I do fear is that there will just be a statement of, yeah, do this because it's safer, and there's a lot of wiggle words in there, safer. You know, the safest thing to do is never, ever, ever leave your house. Um, and then different actions that we take increase our risk. But it's not just the binary increase or decrease. It's how much. And I'm not sure that that message ever gets across. Today on the show, what the data says about whether or not you should be wearing a mask from two people who don't necessarily agree on the answer. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI.
There is this chart that's been making the rounds among people who think the public should be wearing more masks. It shows that pandemic curve we're all trying to flatten, separated out by country. And in three of those countries, Japan, South Korea, and Singapore, the curve gets flatter way faster. Coincidentally, these are countries that have embraced masks. So I asked Aaron to start out by telling me whether this chart should change anyone's mind. If you look at the responses of those three countries and and what you can only take home from it is masks, I mean, that's a truly, I mean, just such an association versus causation thing. Let's also start with the fact that, that those three were Asian countries that had been through the SARS epidemic and therefore had already built facilities and resources and had procedures and plans in place for what to do when a pandemic like this shows up. Secondly, they engaged in massive, massive secondary distancing measures, keeping everybody at home, engaging in huge levels of testing. They were able to do things we are still not able to do. We're still not even dreaming of doing in the United States. So it's impossible to tease it out. Yeah. It's like, I mean, to say that masks were the difference is is like saying, oh, well, that, you know what it is? You know, they're on the Eastern Hemisphere. We're on the Western Hemisphere. That's the difference. Like, no, that's not, that is not the difference. Aaron's main argument against the general public wearing masks is that he doesn't want to take them away from healthcare workers. After all, the CDC is already telling doctors and nurses that if they can't find masks, they should be making their own out of bandanas and scarves. But this isn't Aaron's only argument. So the other arguments that I would make in calmer times would be that I worry that putting on a mask gives people a false sense of security. What do you mean when you say that? That, that I mean that if you put the mask on them, you won't be, you know, you'll you'll think like, okay, I'm protected and you won't wash hands as vigorously. You won't be careful not to touch your face or worse, you'll keep touching your face because you keep adjusting the mask, which is terrible. Or that, you know, you might just start to be lax in your distancing or the other practices that we would recommend that you do to keep yourself uh, from getting infected. So if you're asking me my theoretical, you know, concerns about wearing a mask, I'd say, well, these are the potential upsides. These are the potential downsides. I think that this is how it would weigh out uh, for the public. I think this is how it would weigh out for me. And I would make a decision. And I would also say, like, if you want to put on a scarf, put on a scarf. Like, go ahead. Like, no one's telling you not to. It's, it's that I think people somehow feel like they can't do this because the CDC didn't tell them to. It's like, if you want to wear a scarf, wear a scarf. Well, I don't know that it's that people don't want to do it because the CDC didn't tell them to. I think there's a little bit of creating a common thing that you're doing together. When people go out wearing masks now, it's a little bit more of a symbol of like, it's me and I might be sick. But Really? If, you're, see, okay, I don't. I think people are doing what people are doing. I know people who are hoarding masks who are perfectly fine. If you're wearing a mask out in public, I'm assuming you're well. Because if you're out in public and you're sick, you have ignored all advice. Um, and I don't even know what we could do at that point. Like we should be sheltering in place. Period. We should be sheltering in place if we are well. If you're sick, by God, you should not be leaving your home. Anyone you see out wearing a mask, I'd assume they're well right now. Because if they're sick, they're really not listening. And I know I even got just a little bit heated there, but like that's like that's just avoid. You know, wear a mask, don't wear a mask. Clearly, anything we tell you isn't going to matter. Hmm. Do you ever worry that scientists and physicians sort of thinking about this fast-moving virus 
are so used to having time to figure things out, like being able to point to the evidence when we're living in a situation where the evidence is coming two weeks late. And so you're making the decisions blind. I don't know that that's, uh, I mean, okay, first of all, like I, I don't, know that it's that it's taking us a long time to figure out what to do. It's taking us a long time to do the things that we've figured out. Singapore, they engaged in amazing guidelines and restrictions and isolation. We do none of that. For us to look at that massive amount of manpower, resources, policy, and take home well, they wore masks and we didn't. That's missing the forest for the trees. Like, yes, they also are much more engaged in wearing masks than we are, but masks are likely not what made the difference. It's everything else they're doing, and we're not talking about it at all. We're talking about masks. Yeah, I mean, I just think about stuff like, from the beginning, the WHO saying, this is not airborne. This is why we don't need masks. Like, this is not floating in the air. And it's true that this coronavirus is not like measles, right. where it will sit in a room without a human attached to it and float around to infect someone a half an hour later. Yeah. That's very true. But that is not the same thing as it is not in droplets of spit that can wander around the air for so a here, couple minutes. Here's the problem. You and I are having, you know, a half-hour conversation, which is phenomenal. And— I swear to you, if you if you look back over what I have said, I have a YouTube show, and every time I and I we've been doing Q and A's for the last few weeks, and every time I answer this question, it takes me minutes to answer this question because I go into the detail you just said. And if people are willing to sit and listen to someone talk for half an hour, an hour, they can get a very consistent answer for what I mean by is this airborne or not. In the same way, we say it, you know, we think the virus survives for like four hours to a day. And then the news says, oh, my God, it was on the princess ship 17 days later. And everybody freaks out. And there's no time for me to explain, okay, on the princess ship, they could detect RNA. But that doesn't mean it was a live virus. It was a fragment of a virus. A fragment. It's not alive. It couldn't infect you. And they can say, oh, but the New England Journal of Medicine study said that they could detect virus four days later on a, on a table. And I could say, there's a difference between being able to detect some virus and having enough there to be infectious. The problem is that our communication... <laughs> right, our communications suck, right. There, but I it's not just that, that our communications suck, right? Mm -hmm. Our communication... Our communication systems have been trained for the last few decades to take the Dateline NBC approach. We right. sprayed this on the comforter at the hotel and check it out. It looks really dirty, but can it actually hurt you? Right. And so I feel like in some ways our understanding, our ability to understand has been a little bit eroded. Well, it's also it's also we have to start. We don't we talk in absolutes. We say it's gone in four days. And I, what I would say, or like gone in a day. And what I would say is like at one day, the amount of virus left is so low that it's, it, it is a very, very, very low chance that you would you would catch the virus and you could probably start to relax. Is it zero? Nothing in life is zero. In the same way, masks. And masks provide a very, very low benefit. And for most people, they're probably not worth it. The rationale behind wearing the mask was, 
we're having sick people wear them to prevent healthy people from getting sick. Not necessarily that healthy people should be wearing masks to prevent them from getting the virus. Well, I also think some of this debate over masks is that we just don't know who's healthy and who's sick. That's now true. That is true with coronavirus. Like, there are other viruses where that is not necessarily as true, which is why I think also you're seeing the rationale change, is we have a new virus where it turns out there are a lot of asymptomatic carriers who might not know they're sick, and therefore there might be an increased benefit to having a lot of people wear masks now because this is a virus where, yeah, it's much more possible that people who think they're healthy could still spread it. When you give me that new data, then yes, the calculus changes in telling people, yes, even people who are asymptomatic should wear masks. Aaron, in his soul, he's a data guy. And him, the numbers are clear. Stay home. But I look out my window every day, and I see people who can't or won't follow that advice. There's the guy next door. He's an essential worker, leaves every day to work on the trains. There are joggers and delivery guys. I don't want to take protective equipment away from a healthcare worker. But those surgical masks I have sitting in my front hall, I'll probably wear one the next time I go to the grocery store. I do think part of the reason we disagree, too— is just based on where we physically are in the world. Like, I'm talking to you from a closet in Brooklyn. So I'm in the hot spot of the country, the hottest hot spot. And not just that, but it's very, very dense here. Right. And you're speaking to me from a place that's much less dense and is not as hot of a hot spot. And so what might make sense for me in New York City might not make sense to someone in Indianapolis. I mean, that's, I mean, look, first of all, like everyone weighs their own risk-benefit calculation and then makes a decision. But but I would also say that what are you going out for? Only groceries at this point. So it, so like the first thing I would say is, you know, as much as you can, have them delivered because that would be safer. Now, again, a lot of this also comes out to like, I give, I give, you know, when I'm talking, I'm like, for the people that can do this, like, we have not yet built a society where we have given everybody the freedom and the ability to make the choices I'm about to say. And I fully recognize that. Right. Because it, it, when you say get groceries delivered, I go through this ethical calculus in my head where I'm like, then I'm making, like, the Amazon guy go to the store. Again, like, we can make, cal- like, in a perfect world, we can make calculations and protect the Amazon guy up the wazoo and totally make sure he's as safe as possible. Again, I, I know that these are for a perfect world. So if you're going out... Like, if I'm going out to the grocery store, because uh, if I or my wife have to go to the grocery store, um, to be honest with you, we don't wear a mask. Uh, we stay away as far away from other people as possible. And again, I would say, like, if it's because you're worried about someone coughing in your mouth, like, that, people who are sick have got to stay home. Like, that's the only way that we're going to halt this. I live in New York City. I don't trust any of these people. <laughs> that's fair. And so, look, if you're, like, again, I get it. And so I'm saying to you, like, if you want to wear a mask, that's fine. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk you out of wearing a mask. I'm saying that when we give population level guide, this is, you know, it's funny because I spend my non-COVID time often writing about guidelines and things like nutrition and stuff like that when I'm writing at the New York Times. And, and it's, it's, I'm, I think I'm being very consistent here. It's like, Guidelines are supposed to be what we sort of tell everyone and give people reasons why, and we explain who fits the guidelines and who does not. So if we can follow the other guidelines that we're putting out of social distancing and how we're supposed to doing it, I think masks provide 
minimal, you know, a small, if possibly greater than zero, but small amount of additional benefit if we are doing the other things that we should be doing. Big if. <laughs> That's the problem. Big it's like, if. if we're not doing it, then yes, this other guideline clearly doesn't apply. And then this guideline can't apply. And then yes, make the decisions that you need to make because people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. But those, the first guideline, the social distancing stuff is so much more important than the masks. And that's what drives me a little bit crazy is like to think that the masks are an equivalent band-aid to this sucking wound over here. It's not going to be enough. If we aren't doing the massive social distancing, contract tracing and isolation, testing of the population, uh, you know, all the uh, quarantine, all the other things we need to be doing, masks are not going to get the job done. So you're saying that political leaders just need to crack down more in a place like New York. I I think, yeah, I mean, and, and, and let me back up on the other side, provide everything you possibly would need to make the social distancing work. Open the spigot, figure it out, spend the money. And we are not doing that, which is why I'm not angry at people who, you know, can't get the job done in their house and have to wear a mask and go out and get food. I get it. That's, you have not been supported correctly. But knowing that the social isolation is the tool we've got to flatten the curve, and we've got to then take the next step of, of supporting people in being able to do that social distancing. And we're not doing that either. Hmm. So by the time this airs, there could be a new recommendation from the CDC advising the general public to wear masks. And I think this evolution is interesting because I worry about something else, which is this like degradation of trust. Because when I'm talking to you as a scientist and someone who's so rigorous with the data, I feel mm -hmm. like you're really comfortable with this unknowing place, with yes. changing your viewpoint as you go, evolving your thinking. And people look to the government for just firm, reassuring, clear messages it may be impossible to give those right now. The number of things in health that we know for sure is so small, it would blow your mind. <laughs> it's like this, this is like, I, I just, this is, I swear to God, if there were like three themes of all the columns I've written at the New York Times in the last six years, that would be one of them. There are a number of things that we know because we have done enough double-blind randomized controlled trials that we are like, this is the way to go. But- even when you're just in the doctor's office, like everything is probabilities. And when you get a lab test, it doesn't say sick or not sick. There's a pretest probability of how sick we think you are. And then based on a lab test and its characteristics, if we truly ran the math, it should change our pre and post-test probability. So maybe we were 55% sure you had something to begin with. And after the test, we're 70% sure. But that means we're 30% not sure. Like, it could be wrong. And we don't ever speak like that. We just say, you've got it or you don't have it. And we make these blanket, you know, statements all the time. And that's what I think is harmful. Aaron Carroll, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Aaron Carroll is a professor of pediatrics at Indiana University School of Medicine. He blogs at a website called The Incidental Economist. He'll also answer your coronavirus questions on YouTube. His channel is called Healthcare Triage. And that's the show. 
We have been listening to all the voicemails folks are sending us from around the country. We know you've got a lot going on. So vent to us. It might become a story. Our number is 202-888-2588. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mara Silvers, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. I'm Mary Harris. I'll catch you back here tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen. <laughs> 